Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, daily YouTube videos, and I'm a longtime podcaster. Also, I have metastatic stage four prostate cancer that came out of remission in January. During the 2020 pandemic, my doctors advised me to stay at home and the Life of Fitz podcast was born. Four years later, I'm back in my cancer fight and continuing this podcast, calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I have met throughout my 35 years in this industry. And now I'm adding in some new friends to my call list. And of course, I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. The thing I love about this podcast is I get to catch up with friends. And last year, I started calling some new friends, some people I had never spoken with before in my life. And this is one of those conversations. Jeff Vaughn might be the most prominent or successful journalist from Kansas State currently working in my profession. And you probably haven't heard of him. Because Jeff's climbed his career ladder rarely in Kansas or Kansas City. He's been both places. He started in radio in Wichita, had a brief stint in Kansas City, but he spent most of his time in Texas and two stops in Detroit. And now he is the primary news anchor at KCAL TV and KCBS in Los Angeles, California. That's right. He is one of the anchors in one of the biggest markets in the country. And I'm telling you, If you're a TV anchor, you want to be in New York, Chicago, or L.A., and he's made it. And here's what's amazing. He wasn't even a journalism major at Kansas State. And we briefly overlapped in our time at Kansas State, but if we met, it was probably in Aggieville, and I don't remember it. This conversation's going to be fun. And by the way, this conversation was recorded in late June. Becky and I are on vacation right now as you're listening to this. So I actually worked ahead, which is shocking. But now let's call Jeff Vaughn in Los Angeles, California, or somewhere nearby. Fitz, how you doing? I'm good, brother. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. Uh, let's put this out there. Have we ever spoken before or has this all been Twitter? I don't know. Maybe I met you when you were in college. 
<clears throat> I think I'm older than I think I'm older than you. No. Uh, I don't I don't think I've ever shook your hand. Okay, and th- and that makes me sad. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's just all been social media. I don't think we've ever met. I don't. But you know what? I've gone to enough K State football games <laughs> and been up, you know, in uh, you know the sports media department and whatnot, and so, so we might have uh, crossed paths at some okay. point in time. But. Well, then we did meet on Twitter, which I, I'm amazed at the number of friendships I've formed with people on Twitter without ever speaking with them. Um, it's kind of an, a magic, a magic thing about social media. There's a lot of downside to social media, as I well know. I know that very well. But uh, so let's recap. When did you graduate from Kansas State? 1989. Okay, you were three years younger than me. Oh, okay. um, I'm, I'm, so we were, we probably were, see, I was there from 85 to yep, 89. We did. We overlapped. Um, yeah, I was drunk the entire time we overlapped, but, uh, I was enjoying my college experience to the point where, um, I took a three, seven GPA down to a two nine, nine by the time I graduated. So that's a, <laughs> that's a, quite the accomplishment. Uh, but I was in journalism, so nobody cared. Uh, but Ironically, you did not get a journalism degree from Kansas State. You were political science, correct? That is correct. How the hell did you end up in this? Well, you know what? Uh, I was always somebody who read the newspaper. My grandparents and my parents all had an AM radio in the various corners of the house and outbuildings and barns and basements of all the houses that we lived in. And so there was always that AM radio that was crackling with you know, the local news and Paul Harvey and, you know, the livestock report and the spoken word. And so I was always kind of drawn to that. I was a big fan of radio way, way, way back yeah. uh, when I was little. I remember, you know, dialing through the AM dial, uh, trying to get, you know, stations out of which you can in Kansas and Kansas being so flat and depends on the, the weather conditions mm-hmm. that AM signal can really, really travel. So. I remember dialing in stations in Chicago and, you know, uh, Milwaukee, Denver, you know, just places that I had never been before that interested me. And so I was always, I always wanted to be in broadcast. I just didn't know exactly what. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm very happy with the major that I got at K-State in political science. It really interests me. I'm still interested in politics. I never want to be involved in it. I knew that I wasn't going to be a candidate. I didn't want to work for any sort of campaign. But uh, watching it and reporting on it eventually was something that I really like to do. And I still am obviously very involved in that. So the political science degree at K-State uh, has done me well. And it also was a very interesting major. I mean, I, I think about all the diff- all the different majors that I could have gotten into at K-State. Um, I think this one was the one that held my interest the most. And you know, being able to write, I had some really good professors too. I mean, some of the stuff they had us do, I'm, I'm pretty good at writing. I think I was better at that than a lot of other things. So a lot of the stuff is essay related. And mm-hmm. so I had the opportunity to go, you know, to the stacks, the library by <laughs> myself and, and do research. And, uh, you know, uh, I just th- those were, were times that I I remember. And that was, you know, when you'd really dive into a topic and write about it. So much as journalism and what you do, I kind of did that on the political science side. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, I know you grew up in Kansas, but I can't find anywhere where you grew up in Kansas. 
we did move around a little bit between Kansas and Colorado. Yeah. So, you know, it, I can't really say that I have a hometown. Interesting. It's kind, it's kind of interesting because I guess it would have to be Clay Center. You're familiar with Clay yeah, Center. Absolutely. I think you. And that's close to Manhattan. And so growing growing up, we went to Manhattan to the that was the big city. I mean, <laughs> we went to Manhattan to, you know, uh, there was a pizza place I remember, pizza parlor when I was a kid that we'd go to. Um, when I was so I, I spent part of my childhood in Clay Center, Kansas. That's where my grandparents uh, spent their whole life. That's where all of my aunts and uncles grew up. My mother as well, of course. That's their hometown. So I guess I would call that my hometown, although we left when I was in fourth grade, went to Colorado. Uh, we lived in Loveland, home of Colin Klein. Nice. Uh, from about uh, fifth grade to, I think, eighth grade. And then I was, uh, then we moved to back to Kansas. I was in high school all four years in Arkansas City, in Ark City. And then wow. I went to K-State. Yeah. Well, I feel like that kind of childhood moving around prepares you for a life in TV news. I mean, you have moved around a lot. I mean, you started in radio in Wichita. Uh, I've got your resume here, buddy. You put your resume online. I've got it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Midland, Texas, Lubbock, Texas, Detroit for the first time, Casey Moe, San Antonio, back to Detroit as you climbed the ladder. And you've been in L.A., what, since 2015. Um, what... What did those prior stops, what stands out to you about those, and how did it prepare you for um, life in literally the big city, one of the biggest in the nation? Well, I had always wanted to be uh, kind of where the action is, not to say that that's not available in smaller towns. Um, right out of college, I moved to Wichita, and that was obviously and is the biggest city in Kansas. And so there was a lot more news happening there, and I kind of wanted to be in the middle of it. And so at the same time, you had to kind of make that transition from radio to TV and started back then, started to a smaller market and then kind of work your way up. And so I just really wanted to be in a place that had a lot of news, a lot of activity, a lot of things going on. And so a lot of those markets uh, really satisfied that. I mean, obviously, Wichita, uh, I was very, very happy uh, working at KNSS, I worked there for eight years. There's a lot of stuff that was going on during that time. You know, we had the uh, presidential election that that our you know Kansas Senator Bob Dole uh, ran for, got the uh, gubernatorial nomination there, um, or I'm sorry, got the GOP nomination uh, for president. And so those were exciting times. Um, and then when I went to Midland, even though I was there for a short amount of time, there were some pretty exciting stories that occurred that were followed nationally. And then from there it was Lubbock. And that was a pretty good time to be there as well as a really good station. But I always, Tim, just wanted to get to the biggest market that I could because in my mind at that point in time, I thought, you know, that's where the most action would be, but there's action wherever you go. There's always something. In fact, I think now you see these small towns that are void of any sort of coverage at all. There's probably a lot more stuff going on there because nobody's covered. Right. So. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, Detroit is a news filled city, but that life is much different than Kansas or certainly Los Angeles. So, but you spend a lot of time in Detroit. Tell me about your experiences in, in that part of Michigan. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed my time in Detroit. I moved there in 99, September of 1999, and I didn't know anybody. I just went there for the job. It was a top 10 market. It was the number one rated NBC affiliate in the country and a very strong newsroom. And I was excited to go there because of that. Um, it was a really good shop. Um, you could, I was a general assignment reporter and you were able to really, you know, mix it up. And there was a lot of news being done. There. It's a really good news town. So I was excited. And uh, I spent seven years there. In fact, I now think that I have spent here in Los Angeles the longest amount of time in my career, I think, because I was about coming up on eight years. I was about eight years at KNSS in Wichita, just about eight years in Detroit. And so I hope to eclipse that here uh, with KCB or K. CBS and KCAL 9. So, but um, yeah, in Detroit, I got there, didn't know anybody, uh, just really dove into the work. And uh, it's a great town, had a lot of news, a lot of things going on, especially at that point in time. So I met my wife there, which uh, I bought my first house there. So uh, that was one of the great things about Michigan is meeting my wife. And, uh, you know, now we started a family, we live here. And so Great memories out of uh, Detroit, and it's a really, really good town. And of course, we my, my wife went to the University of Michigan, so we we went to a lot of uh, Wolverine games, and uh, and so we were very involved in college athletics uh, in Detroit, even though it was you know quite a ways away from K State. But is she a, a lot Mich of things are happening? They said that is she a Michigander? Where is she from? She, she is a Michigander. Uh, kind of just near the Flint area, between Flint and Detroit, kind of the Flinton okay. area, kind of a suburb, if you will, okay. of Detroit. Yeah, I've got yeah. family. Um, my parents taught and met in Marshall, Michigan, um, and my grandfather was a big wig with State Farm that has a huge office there, regional headquarters. And then I still have family in Kalamazoo, so it's Michigan's. Michigan's got a sweet spot for me. I love that state. I bet your relatives have been to my wife's grandparents' restaurant in Kalamazoo. Oh, wow. What is it? Well, they have since passed away. Mm -hmm. But uh, back in the day, I believe it's still there. It's under different ownership now. The Black Swan, an Italian restaurant wow. in Kalamazoo. I'll have to ask them. You could, ask, you could ask them about that, yeah. Um, L.A., uh, welcome to a different world than Detroit or Texas or Kansas, how hard was that adjustment with that kind of, you know, constant traffic, constant everything out in L.A.? You know, it, it wasn't really that bad of a transition. Working the hours that I work, basically four to midnight, you're, I mean, there's traffic 24-7 right. in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, when we first got here, we'd heard about it and thought that we needed to basically live real close to my work. Uh, but, but we didn't because we figured it out that uh, you, know, you could do it with the off hours. And uh, it gets frustrating sometimes. We just were, we were Memorial Day weekend. We were heading down to San Diego. We have some family down there. And we got tied up in what's called a SIG alert, which means they closed down the, the road in front of us for five hours. And mm. so we had to backtrack and get out of there. We didn't even make the trip. So that is a legitimate concern living here in Los Angeles. You do have to, I mean, every day that I get up, and go to work, I have to check on ways. I have to check on Google Maps to see how long is my commute going to be? Because sometimes it's 25 minutes, sometimes it's an hour. Or like last week, I got stuck in Vice President Kamala Harris's, um, you know, she had to, 
she was driving to the Greek theater uh, with the entourage of vehicles, and I got stuck in that whole thing and was another, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes late for work, which made it maybe an hour and a half. So it just depends. But I, to tell you the truth, there's a lot of traffic in Detroit, um, and so I was somewhat prepared uh, for it and have been living with traffic um, for a long time enough now that it uh, it certainly bothers me. I don't like it, but uh, I deal with it. And it wasn't that big of a shocker. I think that the biggest shocker for us is when we moved here, we first moved to Hollywood and we got a, a sublease there. And it was great. It was uh, right in the middle of everything. And that was the bad thing was it was right in the middle of everything because mm -hmm. it was it was so loud all the time and the foot traffic and, you know, just the congestion and just going to the store. I mean, you know, uh, growing up in Kansas, you just kind of wanted to be able to uh, go in the backyard and have some peace and quiet. You never could have that. So, no. so we so we had that kind of experience, uh, and then we moved into the suburbs, and we really like where we are now. And it's it is quiet. We have a night sky. We have uh, open space around us, and so it's not so bad. But uh, it is something that you have to really manage because. If you do any traveling at all, you do have to anticipate that there'll be backups and you have to, you know, look at the maps and you have to plan for it. And, you know, we even have to have stuff on our car to make sure that, you know, if we do get stuck in traffic, we have a snack and some extra water. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I can relate. I, I once got caught on Anderson Avenue for an extra five minutes. I about starved to death. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It, it took me. It took me ten minutes to get across town. It was just hell. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's so funny because when I visit home, and I remember my wife and I took her to. We flew into Kansas City when we were in Detroit, and I rented a car and we drove to Clay Center. Uh, this was for <laughs> my grandparents. They had some sort of anniversary when they were still alive, and of course we stopped into Manhattan. And I showed her around campus and, uh, you know, bought some K-State stuff. And then we continued on our way. And I remember my wife, we were just between Manhattan and Clay Center. And we are driving, you know, it's a 35-minute drive, and we didn't see any cars. She was like, what is going on? <laughs> where, where, where are the people? <laughs> In L.A. And, uh, <laughs> so, so I appreciate that, and I miss that. The other part is, you know, whenever you see somebody, you wave. Because there's so few of them. Absolutely. <laughs> they don't, they they don't do that here. Yeah, no. They don't do that here. Well, not, so. not with their entire hand. Um, <clears throat> uh, one of the things I love about following you on Twitter is the most L.A. media market thing. It's so exclusive to L.A., the car chase. Uh, it's just – I. it is such a cultural thing out there. Uh, when when there's a car chase and the helicopters are following, I'm just entertained at no end. It's like a whole different world to me. Um, and I, I imagine commentating those is fun and challenging. It is fun. It is challenging. But it is exciting because you just really don't know how it's yeah. going to end. And you could, you could say that for every single car chase. You really don't. They're amazing. I mean, if, I mean, if you go off of the odds and you you think of it in a sporting term of it, you know, and you think to yourself, we have a better chance of converting this play than we do this play, you know, based on this defense or whatever the case may be. I mean, a lot of times 
there are chases that I get in place for that we never even go on the air because I'd say probably better than 50% of them um, basically end within the first minute, minute and a half. Um, these, these people that try to outrun police, I think within about 90 seconds, they think, what am I doing? And then they give up. So a lot of the chases are like that, that you never even see. And the ones that hit the air, I mean, those, those are pretty dedicated folks. I got to tell you, because if we get our chopper in place and we, uh, you know, we go from Van Nuys airport and we get over a chase in, you know, Orange County or LA County, they've had enough time to continue to, to try to outrun the police and they're pretty dedicated. And you, you could see that they, you know, they're, they're plotting and planning and they're going to find a place where they can bail. And then there's <laughs> a, you know, it's, it, that's exciting. But unfortunately there's always that real, you hate to be excited about it, Tim, because you know, it could have yeah. deadly consequences. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've had those, we've had those stories and those chases where, you know, they've gone right through a red light, T-bone somebody. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a bad deal, but uh, there's no other market. That's for sure that, that it happens. And except for, for Los Angeles, I, mean, I was in Detroit. I was there. We had a chopper. I went up in the chopper, reported on stuff. We never did a chase, never once. I mean, we reported on chases, you know, maybe a day or so later, but they were all very short. There were, I mean, it just wasn't part of the culture. It is here. Did they ever get away? Oh, yeah. You know, it's <laughs> if, if, if they tell me that um, I need to head to the set because KCAL, we're the independent station owned by CBS, we'll go on 24-7. We'll go on and... In the middle of the night, we'll go on any point in time that there's a police chase. So I'm always at the ready to head to the set to do a police chase. If they tell me that they're chasing a motorcycle, I kind of slow my roll because motorcycles, you know, obviously they're very nimble, especially if it's a sport bike. They can go 180 miles an hour and the police just are not going to chase them. And so I've done a number of motorcycle chases one of which I remember within the last year that started in L.A. County, went all the way down to San Diego County because, the you know, the motorcycles, this was at night, too, was just able to, you know, go between cars. Uh, they call it, you know, you lane change, you're split, split between the cars yeah. and able to very, very quickly out in the police. And so I think that they I, I know that they've lost I knew that they lost that one. But I, I've seen them lose mostly motorcycle uh, suspects, suspects on a motorcycle. Those pursuits are pretty hard for police to follow. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I've had them pass me when I was in L.A. You know, the few times I've been there, I've had motorcycles just rip by me. I'm like, oh, well, um, you're going to get there fast. You may not get there at all ever again, but that, have fun with that. But I, I'm just amazed at the mindset in L.A., Okay, I've screwed up. Um, I'm getting pulled over. It's it's going to not be good. I've got a gun in the car. I got something going on here. Let's see if I can make this incredibly worse for myself, um, and make myself possibly end up being clowned on on TV by a helicopter filming me running and getting tackled by a uh, out of shape cop. Uh, so it's it's they're they're fantastic, man. I just I love them. Um, I wish you'd been there for the OJ one. Cause that was, that was kind of boring, but also fantastic, but it's, it's just such a weird cultural phenomenon out there in LA. Yeah. I've 
I've uh, probably been on the air longest in police chases covering them and also the natural disasters. Uh, we had uh, the Wolsey fire was the fire that we actually evacuated from. But uh, those can be hours and hours on end as well. So you could be on the air um, a long time. And I have been. I, I, I think the record for, for me personally for police chase sir, might, might have been for the wildfires or six hours, oh. six hours at the anchor desk. So and that's just and that's busy. I mean, that's so busy that you can't leave. Um, and I've had a couple of police pursuits that have gone Definitely a couple hours plus, for sure. I'd be taking pee breaks live on the air. Just, you know, kind of go behind <laughs> the set and grab a bucket and you could hear it. Um, hey, I'm a broadcaster. You got to do it before you hit the set. <clears throat> I did I did radio. I was able to, you know, uh, do it between commercial breaks and stuff like that. So, but, yeah, you're right. No, no commercial breaks during those uh, types of uh, coverage. Well, you tripped into so, something there with the natural disasters. What was your first even small quake like but you know i i was covering football in oklahoma i was getting ready to cover an oklahoma state game middle of the night we had a earthquake I, I thought my employee was getting in bed with me which you know i'm old and you know whatever but um it, we, thankfully he wasn't it was just shaking the bed and then we had a quake I, there's a famous picture of Kirk Herbstreet about ready to crap himself in the press box because the whole press box was swaying. But what was your first experience like? And I imagine you didn't have any experience with until you moved to L.A. Yeah, it's funny because I have family that most, all of my family is still in Kansas. And they tell me about the earthquakes there and they're more severe than the ones here. Um, and so it's kind of interesting that my mom, I believe, experienced an earthquake before I did, that's when I was living in California. So for the longest time, Tim, I would cover earthquakes, but I never felt them. And I have only felt, I believe, two mm. since I've been here. And there have been probably a, a dozen or so that have been measurable and that you could feel. And my wife will feel them, but I won't. Um, there was one that woke me up in the middle of the night. It happened in Malibu. I'm up the canyon from Malibu. And I woke up and I thought that somebody was trying to get into the house or somebody was opening up a door or something like that. And so I, that was one that I was dead asleep, but I thought something was going on. And then I immediately went to my phone after finding out nobody was trying to break in, <laughs> that it was an earthquake. So that, and then there was the Ridgecrest earthquake, which was a, like a seven magnitude, which is a big thumper, but it was so far out, but we still felt it here. And there was a little bit of damage. But what I remember about that, Tim, is that was the first one that I, I felt and I saw. Mm. And I have a pool and I happened to be off work that night. And I was in the backyard and the all of a sudden, the water started splashing out of the pool. Wow. And that's when I was like, I went inside and thought something was going on. I still didn't feel it. And I saw one of our chandeliers kind of swaying. It's like, earthquake. So so I'm not very good about feeling earthquakes, but I can definitely see the effects of it. Uh, I've been in a studio where my co-anchor is like, do you feel that? That's an earthquake. It's like, no. But I look and the studio lights are swaying a little bit. So I've experienced, I think, uh, a couple 
but there are certainly a lot more that I haven't. I, I gotta admit that was really disappointing earthquake stories. I wanted, you know, Jeff crying, <laughs> you know, standing in the door frame praying. Um, but you know, being from Kansas, you know, it's tornado. Hey, let's go out and look at it. Um, I, I, I find earthquakes so unsettling. I mean, it's like out of nowhere, no warning. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're moving around. Uh, but anyhow, I, I, again, LA is a completely unique place, even in some ways to California. I'm just, I, I actually really like LA. I wouldn't want to live there because of the traffic, but it's, you know, but the weather sucks. You know, I'm I'm sorry you got to live through the weather. It just, it's awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I tell you, it wasn't the Kansas uh, weather that uh, bothered me. It was my ten years in Detroit, and uh, coming here was it was a no brainer. Yeah, we we do have great weather. I enjoy the weather. I can do uh, my mountain biking and and do uh, anything I want outside hiking year-round. It is a great climate. We happen to uh, live in an area that's pretty close to the coast, so we're not... We will get hot. We're up in the Santa Monica Mountains. It will get warm, but uh, it really cools off at night, and we have a marine layer in the morning, which is still here now. It hasn't burned off yet, so it's... Uh, yeah, I, I do love it. I don't I don't miss the Kansas blizzards, the ice storms. I remember those and shutting down the power. Uh, I do remember that. The thunderstorms you know, when I was in radio, we actually chased storms. So I was a storm chaser Ooh. in one of the mobile units reporting back to the station. So I kind of uh, get a kick out of tornadoes and seeing severe weather. And, and those are things I actually kind of missed Tim, because, you know, the, the heavy rain and, uh, you know, I don't miss the humidity, but just seeing those big you know, ample clouds and the big thunderheads and stuff like that, uh, you, you don't have that out here. Uh, it's just it is something that I do kind of miss about Kansas. Is is the easiest job in our industry a meteorologist in Southern California? It is, and certainly if you ever make a mistake, you have Mother Nature to blame. So <laughs> that's right. So. I'm fascinated yeah. with this. You know, I told I just told a kid the other day that you get into meteorology. They haven't been right all summer in Kansas, and they're still all employed. <laughs> well, and you only have to forecast really accurately three days out, so you're only you know. Yeah. I will tell you, though, something that's interesting is growing up in Kansas, how the weather is such a big deal there, especially I remember growing up my grandparents, my grandfather in Clay Center uh, raised livestock. He raised quarter horses, had uh, Hereford cattle. He had uh, Duroc pigs, and he also was a farmer. He ran the grain elevators. So weather was a was a very, very important thing, and he was down to – like the degree he needed to know. And so that was always something that was, you know, whenever I, I, I talk to my relatives in Kansas, we all end up talking about the weather at some point because it is such a big part of life there, at least growing up for me, because it had to do with agriculture and livestock and whatnot. It was so important. That's what's so interesting about when you get out of that area that you – notice that people don't really appreciate that so much. Like I, I, I've worked in places where it's like, you were off by 10 degrees. I mean, that would send my grandfather through the roof. <laughs> if you were off, you were off two degrees, so you know, you'd be upset about it. So it is different. Um, but it, it is one of those things where you don't have to worry about it as much. That's for sure. Well, uh, the, the nice thing about Kansas is our weather is consistent. 
consistently bad, but it's consistent. Um, no matter what time of year it is, it's like, oh, crap. But, uh, yeah, it's a big part of the ag life, too, and something a lot of parts of the country don't appreciate. Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, let's let's turn back to uh, Kansas State. And what are your best memories of Kansas State? You were leaving as Bill Snyder was arriving. We had some of the most horrendous football during your time at Kansas State. You survived. You're not scarred for life by it. Um, but, you know, what are your kind of general memories of being a student in Manhattan, Kansas? I, I got to tell you, when, when it comes to football, not good. I mean, it was really embarrassing. I was there for the rollout of Stan Parrish and Air Parish, And I remember we had a uh, big pep rally at the K-State Union and, and he introduced the I actually uh, knew a couple of the players back then, uh, Todd Elder yeah. and uh, Kent, Kent Dean sure. uh, pl- played for uh, K-State. I think Kent was a tight end and was Todd a wide receiver. Anyway, um, they were, back then it was all Air Parish. I remember those guys that were friends of mine uh, telling me about how they were going to be in the mix big time with this Air Parish. And we had back then a running back, uh, Tony Jordan, who I actually had in one of my botany classes. And uh, so there was kind of this this hope that, uh, you know, that Stan Parrish would come in. And, you know, as you know, I think he only won one game. And I think for the four years that I was there, I saw I think I saw, what, three wins. Crazy. And never a win against we didn't even beat KU. I think we tied KU. Yep. One year. That was that that was the lowest point for me as a K-Stater, was when we ended up in a tie with KU. And I think KU that year didn't have any wins either. And it was basically called the toilet bowl. It was, yeah. Wasn't it, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, I I remember um, I I had to work my way through college, so I had a bunch of of jobs uh, that I I had, some on campus, some off campus. And, uh, you know, I remember nobody really – care to get tickets you could get tickets very easily and i we i did go to the games every single game every home game and uh you know i remember we were kind of making fun of and nobody else could make fun of our football team but, right. but we could i do remember i'm sure there's a picture or two i do remember the student section rallied during one game to wear paper sacks with the word mildcats written on them. Mm-hmm. And, and I remembered, I remember a whole bunch of people did that. I mean, it was embarrassing. I, we had a, I was a, in a fraternity and we had a float for the homecoming parade. And I believe our float simply said, beat the spread <laughs> because <laughs> we were, we were, I think we were playing Oklahoma or something like that. And Brian Bosworth. And, you know, I think 
you know, we, we lost 52 to 10 or something like that. I mean, I couldn't even imagine why are we, why are we playing Oklahoma for homecoming anyway? But I mean, it, it really didn't matter. So I was there when it was really, really bad. And I certainly appreciate where we are now. And I'm so thankful. And you talk about scarred for life. I, I don't, I think I am still, I'm still very nervous about, I mean, I'm so happy that Bill Snyder came along and, you know, we, we just, with climbing, we just uh, won the big 12 and obviously we're doing well. And I wear K-State on my sleeve and wherever I go, people know that I went to K-State and when we do well on the national stage, whether it's football or basketball, I get text messages from friends because, you know, they know that I, I'm a big fan of my alma mater. And so, um, so I, I'm, I'm proud uh, of where we are now, but back then it was, it was, I was worried and it wasn't just the, uh, the football team. You know, there was a point in time where K state, when I was going to school there, it lost its accreditation. Uh, we thought that we, we thought that we were going to end up being like Wichita state uh, without a football team. And that scared me to death. I, I was worried that my degree that I was eventually going to get at K state was going to be, was going to erode because it was going to be kind of a second tier school. And I, Wanted to go to K-State. It's the only school I wanted to go to. Uh, when I was a kid growing up in Clay Center, I had Purple Keds. I had a Willie the Wildcat piggy bank. I had the K-State pennant in my room. Um, most of my I think all of my family that went to college, with the exception of one uncle, went to Pitt State. I think everybody else went to K-State. I know uh, I've got a couple uncles that graduated from K-State. All my cousins uh, went to K-State. Um, so we're a K-State family. And from the very beginning, I was, you know, taught to be proud of K-State. And uh, we, we would go there, as I before, from Clay Center to Manhattan. I was in Boy Scouts, so we'd go down there to Manhattan for the Pinewood Derby. And so Manhattan was a big part of our life. And yep. I was concerned back then, Tim, that my degree wasn't going to be worth as much because we didn't have a football program and we were, you know, we lost accreditation. And the only thing that was a really bright spot for us was Lon Kruger. And I was there for the, for the time that, uh, you know, we made it to the NCAA tournament and, uh, and, uh, you know, Lon Kruger kind of, I think we, every year that he was there, if I recall, yeah, we went to the uh, NCAA tournament, and I think we we're in the Elite Eight. That was Mitch Richmond. That was Steve Henson and Ski, and um, you know, it was that was an exciting time. Was basketball for us, and I was in SAE, so we were just a kitty corner from Ahern. So we we spent a lot of time. I mean, I loved the barn, and I loved the atmosphere. Uh, there we were right on top of the the opposing team and it just was a great uh, memory of mine was the, the basketball which saved us I think because uh, you know being a sports fan of K-State because you certainly didn't get it in football yeah I was out of school I was it started my journalism career in St. Joe Missouri um, when they went to the Elite Eight I remember my assistant sports editor saying I'm covering your shifts if you don't because I had a buddy that worked in there too was a K-Stater <clears throat> he said if you guys don't drive to Pontiac and watch that game in person. You're crazy. You had an opportunity here. So off we went, we get there, the ticket manager, Carol Adolph took care of us. I had front row seats to watch K-State lose to KU in the elite eight. Again, scarred, yeah. even in a moment of success, <laughs> scarred by Kansas state sports. 
<laughs> I know it, right? Yeah. You know, going back to the, the football program, and you know, at that point in time, I was going to K-State as we were expanding to those, was it the Southeast Conference or Southwest Conference where they were being folded into um, right. the Big Eight. And I remember being concerned that we were going to be left out because of our football program. And I still kind of, I was talking about being scarred for life. I'm still, still very leery. I mean, I'm online every day typing into Google Big 12 expansion. I mean, we've got a big day coming up. What is it, tomorrow <laughs> yeah. with the Pac-12? And, I mean, I'm still nervous. I'm, I'm much better now than the last round of expansions, but I just am always very concerned about, you know, where we are going. I'm, I, you know, we won the big 12 where we obviously have with Jerome Tang. We've got a great basketball uh, program back now and we're, and we're doing well, but I still worry about things because if you take a look at the makeup, I mean, there's what, not even 3 million people in Kansas right. and, and to support two major universities is a pretty big stretch for a population of only what two six or two seven. So you, you think about some other states that have ma major populations. We take for example Pennsylvania. They got Pittsburgh. They got Philadelphia. I mean Penn State's the only real big major university there uh, for sports. So I just I just always get very concerned. Uh, even now, uh, it, that we might be left out because I just worry that there's not going to be enough support for two major universities. Yeah, it's. I, I think the first step um, for Kansas State improving football was Wichita State dropping football because there was one less mouth to feed in terms of getting Kansas kids to come there. And you can look at all the different walk-ons through the years that turned into major players at, at Kansas State that – if Wichita State had been around, they might have gotten a scholarship offer and ended up there, and that just stunts everything the case had accomplished. But people nowadays, you know, the young folks can't even fathom how bad football was and how snarky Kansas State students, you mentioned the bags and all that, got about their own football program, which was unfortunate in hindsight, unfair to the student athletes, but it was that bad that, you know, in the mid-'80s, the student body, they'd they couldn't really throw the ball and they couldn't run the ball. Um, so they would run draws all the time. Um, and the whole student body, when they'd see it coming, would just yell, draw, just, you know, like helping the defense. It was just, it was so bad. It was just, and Austin, were you at the Austin P game when they, they won on the last play of the game after failing on the last play of the game, but case they had a penalty and then they won. It was just, it, I was I the Willie Nelson I concert. I was there, and do you remember what Austin P did after yeah. they won that game? It was they a little break dancing. Yeah, they were break dancing, like uh, dancing, you know, on the Wildcat in in the middle of the field. Yep. And I just, I that was that. <laughs> I mean, you you think about low points. Maybe that was it because I don't remember. You know, we were always getting beat by Nebraska and Oklahoma. Just, I mean, Horrible. fifty-two to. Three or I mean, it was just and to watch and we stayed and we watched those games. Yep. And I remember it, it, things creep up in your mind like, hey, should I go study for a test? Should, <laughs> should we just go to should we just should we just go to Aggieville at 11 a.m.? Yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, Aggie Lou is Aggie Lou still there? The Aggie oh, Lounge. That I, mean, is, I think that they. Oh, brother! I think they opened up. Did they open up early? I mean, I remember oh, yeah. that that was a 
Yeah. The, the, uh, has a little pinball machine in the corner. I remember it's like, well, you could always go to Aggie Lou. Yep. It just closed. It just the, you know, they were in the building with a dry cleaner and apparently they decided not to pay their taxes. Um, so the whole building got repossessed. So no Lou at this point, at least last I knew the Lou is closed. Great sadness fell across the lands because the Lou is so iconic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but let's be honest. I don't remember much of the football games when I was a student and, you know, before I eventually was in the press box at some point, but, um, I was usually, they just didn't even check you for alcohol coming in. Uh, you could just bring in alcohol because they, they just wanted you there. Um, and and they almost understood the medicinal purposes of having alcohol at a K-State football game. Uh, but, yeah, that that Austin P game was um, really a low point because, as you mentioned, the players started dancing on the Wildcat at midfield. I've told the story before, but it just sums up how bad it was. Um, but they started like rubbing their butts on the Wildcat. Um, and then the coaches came out and were like, okay, good. Here comes the Austin coaches to stop it. And they started doing the same thing. Um, and so we all stuck around because there was a Willie Nelson concert. I don't remember the Willie Nelson concert at all uh, because I was so traumatized by this. Uh, and then Austin P's quarterback broke his leg the next week, and they won one game up or two games that season, including at Kansas State, beating a Division One program when they were one Double A. It was uh, it, uh, oh, just so awful, just awful beyond understanding for current fans. Well, that showed you how bad it was that they had to have a concert after a game to mm -hmm. get people there. And Will, Willie Nelson, obviously, was a big name. I do remember, it seems like I, I left and I went back and, and saw the concert. But, yeah, I mean, I remember student, the, the, the campaign, one of, um, for student body president, one of the candidates wanted to have beer served at the football games. And the sole reason was to increase attendance. Um, it, you know, they were they were doing things that they were trying things to try to get people to go to a game. I remember what sometimes maybe nine, ten thousand people showed up. I mean, obviously, the stadium was a lot smaller than that it is now. But I never I never during my time at K-State saw a full um, oh, no. KSU stadium. No, the only time it got anywhere close to full was in Nebraska or Oklahoma came to town and bought all the tickets. So. Yeah. Well, I don't, did they even have to buy tickets? I mean, I, I remember tickets were always left on the table. And, you know, there was always tickets after the game, too. I mean, nobody uh, – I just can't imagine. I, I, I know myself I didn't pay for any tickets to football the whole – the entire time it was at K-State. Yeah. They, it was so easy just to get in if, you know – yeah. Like they'd stop checking tickets early and you, the right. gates would be open. But yeah, it's uh, times are much better now. Um, Isn't do, that the truth? Isn't that do, great? Do you make a point to to flip on the TV when K State's playing? Oh yes, every I have. Uh, I watch. I try to watch every single game. I got to tell you that uh, I don't get the chance to watch every single game, but I always bring up. Uh, you know, the, the play by play with Stan and I listen on the radio through, you know, the internet. And so I keep, and I, I will tell my family, you know, I'm, we're not doing anything until after the game, <laughs> if we're going anywhere. And if we, my kid is in water polo, if we have a water polo tournament, I dial it up on XM radio on the way uh, down there. And I will excuse myself and have my headphones on and listen to the game. So 
not as much, uh, not for every basketball game. Cause there's so many, but yep. every football game I tune in and I watch and my wife will tell you that I, you know, it depends on how my mood is going to be the rest of the day on if we win or lose. So I'm, I, I am very plugged into K-State football. Uh, when was the last time you were back? I think it was about two years ago. And at that point in time, I didn't go to Manhattan. Uh, I was there for a game in 2020, I believe. Okay. So it's been, yeah, it's been a while, but um, I haven't been to Manhattan in a while. My, since my grandparents passed away, we don't get to Clay Center as uh, much as we used to. I have family in Abilene. And most of my family is still centered around kind of the Wichita area. But um, we're definitely due. My, my son is 11, so I don't think he's been to Manhattan. And I'd like to take him there. And he, he has the K-State gear, and he knows all about K-State. And he uh, sits there with me and roots him on. And so he, he wants to go and, and, and see the, the stadium and I'd like to take in, you know, whether it's a football game or, you know, depending on the time of the year, basketball or, or baseball. So we, uh, we're due for a trip, but it's been a few years, Tim. Well, one of the things I've now learned about you during the course of this conversation is you're an outstanding parent. You are properly brainwashing that child and you need to get him here <laughs> so he can experience the, the kindness and, and wonder of the Kansas State family. Yeah, for sure. And I think he would love just walking around campus as I think that would be one of the things I'd like to do is just take him and just, you know, wander around and kind of uh, go to call hall and get a, an ice cream and just kind of, uh, you know, park the car and walk around, go to the union, get some swag. And uh, that would be a fun day for us. Yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I take it at this point, you're, you're settled in, in your career. You're an LA guy now. Um, or maybe, you know, you've got those national aspirations. I don't know if it's the same, but it just seems like um, national news is not the same. It's it, it's so local now. It You know, I just feel like it's always been local, but I, it's been forever since I turned on national news. It's just, I, you know, I, it's, I guess maybe it's depressing, but, um, yeah, you're, you're an L.A. guy now, aren't you? I am. And I'm happy about that. Yeah. I really do like where, uh, yeah, I like where I live. Um, it gives my son the opportunity to do whatever he wants to in life. I mean, I, I, um, love my childhood. I love my connections to Kansas. I was born in Topeka. I grew up there. I went to school at K-State. I'm proud of that. Um, but I did have a desire to get to a place that offered more opportunity mm -hmm. in what I wanted to do. There's certainly opportunity in Kansas for whatever you want to do, but for what I wanted to do and for how I wanted to experience it, I needed to leave. And I knew that. And also there were times, you know, I think it's, it's different now in Kansas, but when I was growing up, Tim, I mean, you know, we played football, uh, baseball, right. wrestling, ba basketball, you know, my, my kid plays water polo. He is on the swim team. We, we don't have that there. And so what's really nice is that I can give him the opportunity for whatever he wants to do in life. He can find it here. So that, I, I like that. And it's also for us, too, my wife and I like that um, opportunity to uh, uh, that L.A. has that you know, we can see and do things we can't in other places. So I really do enjoy 
uh, living in LA. I don't know if I can retire here. It's pretty expensive. My financial advisor says, hey, you can't retire there. So, uh, but uh, I do like it. And uh, we're just up the canyon from Malibu. Um, and we, we go to the beach. Uh, you know, right now we're going daily because my kid is uh, in the junior lifeguard program at LA County. So we go to Zuma all the time and uh, watch him and the dolphins and the sea lions and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I, I do, I do enjoy it here. And uh, I, I, uh, I really can't imagine leaving for any other reason other than to, uh, you know, to save the 13.3% taxes on my, uh, retirement investments or something like that. That's crazy. Well, you've listed a lot of things that, um, you know, mountain biking, water polo, the beach, um, seals and dolphins. Yeah. Coming to Kansas, you're going to have problems doing all of those things. You know, you can go to the beach at Tuttle Creek, but I think we can agree. It's not the same as the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, there are things that I do miss like, uh, like when I take my my son there in the summer, he loves chasing fireflies. We don't have fireflies. We don't have, we don't have those here. You know, here in the uh, the locust and uh, you know seeing the night sky, we don't have that uh, here at all. Um, I mean, you can see the moon and the North Star for the most part mm-hmm. in my backyard, and that's it. So that's something that's really a lot of people don't understand. That I mean, I grew up and you, you know. You look at the night sky in Kansas, and it's like somebody took a paintbrush and just splattered it across a canvas, and it's just full of stars. My son is just every time that I take him there, uh, and he looks, he just has, he's just in awe. And so there are things that I really, really miss about uh, about Kansas. You know, I used to, when I was in Arc City, and I would drive back and forth between Manhattan, I would always time my drive home around sunset through the Flint Hills because it was so pretty. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I would, I would try to hit bizarre, uh, maybe on, a, on 177, um, you know, right around the time that the sun would, uh, go down because it was just so beautiful, the sunsets and, and, you know, whatnot. So, you know, there's, there's things that I will always miss about Kansas and do, and no traffic is certainly one of them. <laughs> oh, come on. I, I, <laughs> I, I may not be able to make it to Dillon's in three minutes. The traffic might back up. Uh, Jeff, I appreciate it so much. Um, it's been really great talking to you, Ed. Um, let me know if you're ever in town, you know, even if it's for football or not. But um, we can certainly attempt to find you some tickets and and those type of things. But uh, I always end this by, you know, maybe a beer in Aggieville. Um, and in fact, if you're, you know, your son's over 12, we can probably get him a good fake. Um, <laughs> and you know, he can start that whole process, uh, early in life and really get ahead of the curve. Well, I do try to go to, to kites every chance I get when I'm there. So we'll have to meet at kites or Rockabelly Deli, or maybe if Aggie Lou comes back, we could do that. You know, Aggie Lou is a great story I'll close with. I'd never been to Aggie Lou. It just wasn't something I did. I did kites when I was a student because when we were on campus, it was the place. Um, And some other bars, Annie Mays and Bushwhackers when it was around. But I'd never been to Lou. Well, Bill uh, Bill, Bill Murray uh, would come to town quite a bit because his brother, Brian Doyle, his wife was in vet school for a while. Um, so Bill Murray would just show up in Aggieville. And and one night they I was in So Long Saloon and they said, Bill Murray's in Aggie Lou. And it struck me, 
Bill Murray's been to the loo, and I haven't. I have to correct this, um, but I had a pickled egg about a week later, and that, that pretty much solved it. <laughs> that was, that was well, don't pre- oh, I love that. I love that story. Yeah, we uh, we went there to Aggie Lou because it was the first bar open that early, and yeah, that's what I remember. And the little little uh, pinball machine in the corner, there was yeah. always somebody was playing. I was like, why is that there? Why is somebody playing pinball? Good times. Uh, yep. Well, you were an overachiever at drinking in college and in your career, and I congratulate you on both. I feel like one helped you with the other as you became <laughs> well socialized. Certainly didn't hurt. Jeff, I appreciate it so much. Uh, let me know when you're in town. And uh, one of the things about this podcast is I get to meet new people, reach out to people, and and uh, I'm glad we talked. Me too. Tim, thank you so much. And uh, go Cats, every man a wildcat. Thank you, brother. Talk to you later. That was fun. I, I got to admit that. that. That was a fun conversation. It was good getting to know him better. We met on Twitter, and we've interacted on Twitter. And I invited him to this conversation on Twitter. And he was fantastic, great stories. But I have to admit, I I really did get incredibly jealous during the course of that conversation about the weather. Because the day we recorded this, Manhattan, Kansas was 100 degrees with that awful humidity. And he's out there close to Malibu, just chilling. Jeff, it was great talking to you. And it was a great edition of Life of Fits. Remember, gentlemen, if you're 45 years or older, please get to your doctor and get your PSA scored. Just get a baseline score. If he tells you no or she tells you no, I want a baseline score. It is the earliest indicator of prostate health issues. And with a baseline score, you'll know if something changes. That's it for this week, folks. I'll talk to you real soon.